We had a great time last night for those of us men who went to see the Detroit Tigris play um, Cleveland Indians till they become the Guardians next year. They won six to four. And uh, actually, if you did not get to come, there's a, there's a picture floating around some of the phones of some of the guys caught kind of kind of sleeping uh, on the big screen, kind of, you know, taking an L on the big screen. Joe, Aaron, you looked good, I think. Uh, I'm not sure who else was all on that photo, but some of y'all were caught slipping. Um, but it was on the big screen, so that's floating around. You'll have to uh, get a picture of that. Tommy was on there. He was all masked up. You couldn't, you thought he was a Lone Ranger or, uh, on the big screen, but... Uh, it was a fun time at the game, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come, I'm sure. Would you pray with me as we delve into Luke 14 and some words that Jesus has for us as his disciples? Father God, we come to you thanking you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is living water that we can drink. God, we thank you that you will, for those who have drank from it, never have us thirst again. There's nothing we need to do to earn our salvation. You have given us a job, though, and that is to work hard for you, being ambassadors for you on this earth, representing a kingdom that has come but is not yet completely fulfilled. And we thank you that we can delve into this today. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable for you in your sight. May we worship you by intently listening and understanding and, and letting the, the, our head touch our heart, which then touches our hands and feet with your word. May we go from here changed more into the image of your son. In Jesus' name we pray these things. I've got three points that I want us to understand as we listen to Luke 14 today. I want us to understand, I want us to stand, and to take a stand. You see, the term Christian or Christ follower has been diluted here in the Western world. It's been very diluted to mean a lot of different things. But Jesus has specific things when he calls one a Christ follower of what he means. We live in a, a polarized world and everyone has a different opinion of what a Christian should look like. I put an Instagram post up this last week and received some things on it of what a Christian should look like. I henceforth put forth what I thought a Christian should look like and the two did not mesh. Some would believe that if I just have some conservative values, that makes me a Christian. Some would put out there, if I, I have more liberal values, if I love my neighbor in these ways, that makes me a Christian. What I affirm, what I hate, if I don't judge, if I do judge, if I show love, if I don't show love, if I don't call out sin, if I 
call out sin, if I push back against evil, if I don't push back, but I live in such a way that people see my good works. All these things can be good and right or bad and wrong, depending on motives. But what does Jesus mean when he calls us to be his disciples? Jesus says in his words, if you love one another, people around you will know that you are my disciple. You see, a lot of people, though, in our day and age, opt out of religion or Christianity, as it's called. And they would say, I'm spiritual. I have a spiritual connection. And I deny, though, the formalness of religion. And hence, I do seek after God. But what do I use if I am spiritual to seek after God? And a lot of times, if you're spiritual, you're alienated from baptism, from communion, from church attendance, but you're going after something a little more nebulous. It's like me saying, I'm married, but I don't come home at night. I don't support my family. I don't have sex with my wife. Would you say I'm really married? No. Because if I'm truly married, there's going to be things that happen in the terms of my relationship that prove that I'm married. It's the same way about being a Christ follower. There's certain things that's going to happen if you are a Christ follower that proves that you're a Christ follower. One of those is loving one another. When one is a Christian and not just spiritual though, one must acknowledge that he or she has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. To acknowledge sin is to acknowledge that there is a definitive right and wrong and that our standards are not what counts, but what God says is what counts. How do we love one another? How do we show love? Love must be shown in tangible ways, must it not? Jesus had great crowds that were following him. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He had just got done dealing with a bunch of Pharisees, some religious people. And he had some pushback on them because they wanted him to do things a certain way. And he would kind of do things that kind of grinded their gears, so to speak. Just kind of put it out there and ask him, what do you think about this? Well, these great crowds really took after Jesus. He had a message that they wanted because he was about a kingdom. And if you know, these people, the Jews, were being abused. They were being ridiculed. They were being oppressed. But he knew that that was not his mission to stop the oppression. He knew that was not his mission to stop those things. He was about a different kingdom, not an earthly one, but one that was to be coming, one that would be tangible, one that would be real, because the kingdom of God is not just in theory, it is a real kingdom that if you are a Christian, you actually belong to now, but you have not seen consummated till you die and Christ returns. 
Jesus tells these people to love one another, show grace to one another. And they continue to follow him. They're like, yeah, we like that. But he realizes quickly that they're coming at him. They're coming to him for the wrong reasons. So he tells them this. As they're walking towards Jerusalem, turn in your Bibles to Luke 14, if you were will. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, can you imagine him yelling this? Large crowds. He wanted everyone to hear him. Hate his father? Hate his mother? Oh, you don't hate mama. Daddy, maybe. Mama? Wife? Whoa. Children, brothers, and sisters. Then he says, yes, even your own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus hadn't even went to the cross yet. On their mind, they weren't thinking he was going to carry a cross. But he's telling them, you need to carry a cross or you cannot be my disciple. They must have been going, are you kidding me? Wait a second, there's been a message of love in here and you're telling me I need to hate my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my wife, my children. What Jesus was wanting to do was to get them to understand exactly what it meant to follow him. I've got to hate my relatives. And some of you do it well. Really well. I've seen the families. To be a Christ follower, the number one requirement is hate. You're going, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not the message of the Bible. What is Jesus saying here? Well, in the Semitic languages, hate can be an expression of loving less than. Loving less than. Jesus is saying, your love for me, your love for me, when an outside world or an inside world is looking, is going to look sometimes like hate of those people around you because you love me so much that you're willing to obey and do anything for me and my words that I command you to do. Your love for Jesus must be bigger than all the other live uh, relationships, all the other loves in your life. It must be the biggest love in your life. You can call it radicalization. Jesus wants you to be radical to be radicalized for him. How do I hate my wife? In a biblical sense. It's my love for my Savior must be so big that my love for my wife pales in comparison to that love. How can that be? I cannot do that. I see my wife. I've never seen God in person. How can I do that? 
by being obedient to God's word and walking in his ways. You see, there's a lot of things, and I, I'll uh, delve into this a little bit later, but there's a lot of things that are our number one loves. Money. Our love for God has to be greater than our love for money. Then the American dream for fame, work. I had Detroit Lions, but that's pretty easy. It's got to be bigger than our love for this country. It's got to be bigger than whatever's happening in society at that moment. It has got to be the biggest thing in our life. And everything else pales in comparison for our love for God. So the first requirement is hate. The second one is we need to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Count the cost. Verse 28, if you turn in Luke 14, says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down, estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? This is not the guy who measures once, cuts once. This is a guy who measures twice, cuts once. Counting the cost. If you don't know what that means, ask somebody beside you. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who seals, sees you will ridicule you. We have a church on Woodward, an eight-mile area, that uh, has been many memes made about, right? You who are in Detroit for a while, how long has that been sitting there? A long time. I was thinking about that as I was reading this, like, wow, somebody didn't count the cost. Seven mile, between seven and eight mile, right? What happened there? And it's been ridiculed for years. That building sets empty. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation to the other when he's still a long ways off. And try to get terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. The counting the cost is a must if you are going to be a disciple of Christ. He's not asking you to come in and try it for a month. Try it for 10 years. He is asking for your very life. He requires your very life. I think of ISIS when I think of extremist groups and how those cats will blow themselves up for their cause. It's a beautiful thing if you really think about it. Now, it's kind of diabolical, but they love Allah so much, or maybe they love the 72... uh, heavenly paradise uh, virgins so much that they're willing to give up their life here on this earth. They have been radicalized. They are willing to give it all up for a better life to come. Jesus says, you are not greater than your master. They hated me. They will hate you. Have you counted the cost? 
You see, you should expect a life that is extremely difficult. A life that is extremely hard if you are following Jesus. Because Satan is who we wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. Now, Satan uses people, systems, governments, whatever he can get at his disposal, he will use to come after you. And if you think that's a bed of roses, it is because it's going to be real thorny for you. He will do whatever it is to accomplish his will. And Satan has free reign right now on this earth. God has given him a leash, but God has also let him do a lot of wicked things. I think of 2 Timothy 3 where Paul charges Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. And he says, you, Timothy, however, know all about my teaching, my life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, the persecutions. You know about the sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them, Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from whom you learned it and how from your infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is charging Timothy, understand what you have been taught. Be in the word. Understand that this is the anchor that you must live your life in if you are going to be my disciple. So we must be learners of this word and count the cost. So in order to be God's disciple, Christ's disciple, you must hate and you must count the cost. Understand what God is calling us to. The second thing that I want us to do here is stand. Understand? Stand. Make a decision before you have a choice on what you will do when a choice comes before you. There are a ton of gray areas in this life, but how you follow Jesus is not a gray area. Either you walk in obedience to what you understand through Holy Scripture, or you don't. Either you love and hate like Jesus, or you don't. There is no gray area. There's a YouTube channel that I've watched a few times, and this uh, young lady is on there who I guess grew up as a Christian, but her YouTube channel's God is Gray. And pretty much everything that you can think of that God would say is black or white is not. It's gray. It's whatever your feelings. And it comes down to she's into spirituality. There's no foundation 
for her except her own feelings. And that's why she can say God is gray. It's wicked. God is not gray. He has his words. Now, are there certain things that we can do? We have Christian liberties? Sure. I might like something that you don't. You might like something that I don't. That's fine. But what we understand God commands of us, we must do. I think of different illustrations that God has given us through his word. And none of them were perfect except Jesus Christ. But I think of Joseph and the decisions that he made before he had a choice. He would not sleep with Potiphar's wife. Now, I'm sure he had urges like any other young man, but he had made a decision that that would go against his God. He did not do it. I think of Daniel when he was asked to bend the knee. He did not do it and paid the price for that. Now, God saved him time and time again and his three amigos that were with him. But these men were flawed also, just like you and I. I think of Peter. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Oh, no. I will never deny you. What's he going to do? Denies Christ. But do you realize Peter was crucified on a cross, martyred because of his faith? And he wasn't just martyred. He said, I am not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Hang me upside down. A sinful man, yet when it come to being a disciple, he counted the cost. It's not that he never failed, but he repented and came back to Christ. Have you a resolve to stand with whatever this word tells you to do? Understand Stand and take a stand. We must take a stand. Act upon your stand. Mark 8, 36 says, What does a man gain if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? Are you willing to take a stand and risk everything in this life to follow God? You see, this life is not a sedentary lifestyle. This life, God calls us to be warriors, to be fighters. We are to be Green Berets, Navy SEALs in this world. I I was thinking about soldiers. And there's one job that I would hate to have, and maybe a lot of people would love it, but the tomb of the unknown soldier is there. These guys, all they do is walk back and forth. What are they guarding? A tomb. That's what a lot of Christians are like. Their God is dead. Their Jesus is still in the tomb. Our God is alive. He has risen. We don't need to guard a tomb. We have a God that has come, died on the cross for our sins, buried and rose again. We are not those soldiers guarding a tomb. We are on the On the forefront of the battle, we don't guard a tomb. We are in the war. 
You see, in order to be in the war, you've got to fight against something. We are fighting against principalities, powers of this age. We are to be light in the darkness. There has got to be good news, though, in this world. There's got to be hope, and that is the hope that Jesus makes everything right, that this world is messed up. It's wicked. It's torn apart. I just saw some things about Afghanistan and the Taliban and stuff happening over there. There's stuff happening all over this world that is just insanely wicked. But we are light in this world. We are light proclaiming a good news that Jesus has come for all sinners. Rich, poor, black, white, Chinese, Asian. I guess that's different. Uh, Same thing. I always get myself in trouble there. Um, Whatever. He has come to save those who are lost. That is the message that we proclaim. But in order to have good news, there has to be some bad news. I was thinking about this. Flint has been, had some really bad water, right? What if they didn't have bad water and we showed up, which we did, with trailer full of water in Flint? And we're like, we're just coming hound hound. Hey, we want to give you this water. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, well, what's the water for? Well, we just wanted to give you good, good water. Like, bro, I got good water. Now, why was the water really good in Flint that we brought on that trailer? Because they had bad water. Not rocket science here. They had bad water. So when you brought good water to Flint, it really meant something, right? It's the same way for us. If we are to see the goodness of God, we have got to see the wretchedness of ourselves. And God changes us. We are now saints. We are now saints. There has to be bad news before the good news can actually be good or it means nothing. If I think I am good in my trespasses and sins, I don't need a Savior. I'm good, bro. I don't need it. But if I understand that I have sinned against a righteous, holy, perfect God, that bottled water in Flint tastes pretty good. It tastes pretty good because I need that living water to cleanse me. We must understand that God has given us this word to help us be cleansed to actually cleanse us. Jesus' blood and his righteousness is what does the work. We are called to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, and this is our message, be reconciled to God. And Jesus made the way. So why do we need to hate? And what does that look like? Going back to our passage. There's a Chinese citizen, his name's Wang Yi. How many of you have heard about Wang Yi? He's a pastor. Nobody, one one person. 
He was the pastor of Ur Early Rain Covenant Church in China. He's now 48 years old. He was a lawyer, a prominent lawyer in China. He's married with some children. In 2004, he was one of the 50 most influential public intellectuals in China. 2005, he heard the gospel and was converted to Christianity. He was still pretty high up in the Chinese government in a lot of ways. And he was with a delegation that met with George W. Bush. Now, I'm an American citizen. I ain't met with Joe Biden or Trump or Bush or anybody. And I'm one of the 50 intellectuals here. <laughs> Probably not. I see a bunch of smarter people than me. But in 2008, he felt God calling him away from being a lawyer and to starting a church. And so he started Early Rain Covenant Church. And things were going pretty well. Well, you know, we hear about China and communism. And China is a communist country and the kind of the official religion's atheism, if you can call that a religion. But did you know in China, Christianity is not outlawed? Buddhism's not outlawed. Taoism, Catholics are not outlawed, except if you're a Roman Catholic, you can't be connected with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so religion's allowed in China. I didn't know this, actually. I was doing some research on China. But what was interesting is a certain type of religion's allowed. A certain type of Christianity is allowed. And China, the government, has the opportunity, because you need to register with them if you're going to have a church, to look at your messages from what you're going to preach on Sunday. They can just come by and say, hey, I need your message. They take it, they look and go, okay, here, where's my pen? I start marking off some of this. Can't say that, can't say that. Well, Pastor uh, Wang Yi was not having that. You cannot tell me how to interpret this word. In China right now, they're writing their own Bible. And it's going to be Christian. The authenticity of Scripture, listen to the way Jesus responds in this verse. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Remember the woman who was going to be? That's the way the, the Bible reads. These words disperse the angry crowd, and Jesus tells the woman, Go, and from now on, sin no more. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? If you're without sin, go ahead and stone her. Everybody's like, ah, I'll drop the stone. Then he goes, go sin no more. Well, the Chinese government's version and their take on this is in this telling, the crowd leaves, but Jesus tells the woman, I too am a sinner, but if the law could only be executed by men without blemish, the law would be dead. Then Jesus proceeds to stone the woman. Like, this is a distortion of our scriptures. There's forgiveness in our scriptures, right? Jesus offers this woman forgiveness, and she receives forgiveness. In their scriptures, there's no forgiveness. Could you preach this as a Christian? No. 
course not. Because the real message is, do what I say or we're going to stone you. Do what the government says. Well, in 2018, the pastor and his wife were arrested along with 100 church members. And the pastor's wife spent six months in jail. All pastor had to do was go along with the government. And there were some people who were like, Pastor, don't you love your wife? She's sitting in jail, bro. Just do what they ask. It's not that big a deal. Just do it. You don't have to really do it. Just do it. No. 2019, 44 church members were arrested, including 10 children and a young lady who had a two-month-old baby had to go to prison. That same day, pastor's wife, or elderly mother, was savagely beaten by police. This man would not bend the knee to the Communist Party. Right now, today, his wife and 13-year-old son live in an apartment supplied by the state. His son is taken to school with a police escort because he cannot talk to anybody else. He's not allowed to see his grandparents. And Pastor Yee, I believe, has nine years left on his sentence. Nine years. All you've got to do is do what they want. Do you not love your children? Do you not love your wife? Do you not love your mother? And from an outside world, it seems crazy. But his love for God is so big that it would look like hate to those outside of the faith. And it may look like those with inside of the faith, it might look like hate. But it's not. He had said, if I am missing for 48 hours, I want you church to put this letter out for me. And I'm not going to read the whole letter, but I want to read a portion of his letter. My declaration of faithful disobedience is what he titled his letter. On the basis of the teaching of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God deposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I am filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime at the wickedness and their depriving people of freedoms of religion and of conscience. But social change and political institutions is not the mission I have been called to. And it is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. For all hideous realities, unrighteous politics, and arbitrary laws manifest the cross of Jesus Christ and the only means by which every Chinese person must be saved. They also manifest the fact that true hope and perfect society will never be found in a transformation of the earthly institution or culture, but only in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and the hope of eternal life.
As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my teaching, my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious king. Every man's life is extremely short and God fervently commands the church to lead and to call any man to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins. This is the goal of all the efforts of the church in China, to testify to the world about Christ, to testify to the middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to earthly monetary lives about heavenly eternal life. This is also the pastoral calling that I have received. For this reason, I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. As the Lord's servant John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of God on wicked people, the goal being to urge people to repent and turn again towards him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law and as though submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord. At this time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is greatly wicked, unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. But this does not mean that my personal disobedience and the disobedience of the church is in any sense fighting for rights or political activism in the form of civil disobedience because I do not have the intention of changing any institutions or laws in China as a pastor, the only thing I care about is this disruption of man's sinful nature by this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears for the cross of Christ. As a pastor, my disobedience is one part of the gospel commission. Christ's great commission requires us great disobedience. The goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another world. And I could go on and on in this letter. He testifies about God's greatness and what will really change the world. And he says this, if God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through the wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them to know Jesus... If through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans for his plans are always benevolent and good. How can a man say this who cannot see his family for nine years because he loves his God and hates his family? And that hate for his family is actually love for his family. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world 
can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life and no one can raise me from the dead. He knows who his Savior really is. We're going to close with just a couple things. A song that an Indian evangelist wrote after he heard of some people dying that had come to faith in Jesus Christ. It was missionaries in the north portion of India proclaiming the gospel. And a man, woman, and two children come to know Christ. And I was talking to Arpith before the message and there was great persecution in India. The government said, renounce your faith in Christ or we're going to kill your family. This man said, I can't. I cannot do that. They took his two children and with an archer shot them in front of him and his wife. How could you do that? How could you let your children die? Because his love for God was so great. That man had to sit and watch his wife get an arrow in her chest also. And then they eventually did the same to him. Well, Sandhu, Sandhu Singh heard about this and wrote a song. And many of you probably have heard this song. Billy Graham used it in, in a different way. He used it for people coming to Christ. But this song was actually written for those who had already come to Christ. And who had already counted the cost. Understand what they were signing up for. And the song goes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't think that's the way it's really sung. But I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Then he ends the song like this. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. That song, let it grip you as you understand how and why it was written. An Indian man dying, but letting his children die, his wife die, because he loved God so much. You may think, what a fool. He could have done so much good on this earth what we're talking about him today. Years later, about his faith. 
that he had for his God. I want the living water to be put through us so deeply that it just exudes from our pores. My dad had a stroke four years before he passed. He tried everything, everything to get better because he was paralyzed on his left side. He would eat garlic. And when he ate garlic, he ate it by the ton. And you know what came out of his pores every time I got around him? Whoo, garlic. He also started drinking these, this uh, thing called DMSO. If you don't know what DMSO is, horses, they would give it to horses and would help them in some way. But it had a unique smell. And I knew when Dad started drinking DMSO, because everything smelled like he was drinking DMSO, his clothes, it exuded from his body. We should be show, so drinking of the gospel that that's all we can do. When people get around us, that's all they smell is the gospel of Jesus permeating our life like the garlic. When they get around us, that's all they should hear and see of our life. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. And when they're loved, they're like, oh, I know where he's getting at. That's from Scripture. Because that's what we preach and that's what we teach. C.T. Studd wrote a poem that I'm going to read here as we close. Only One Life, it's titled, and many of you might have heard this before. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life 
past will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let me love in, with fervor burn and from the world. Now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasures on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Worship team, would you come? We're going to have a prayer team in the back. If you want to commit that you will follow Jesus, do that today. With whatever he says, do that today because only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last.